Welcome to episode 23 of the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the go-to for all things Little Rock and Arkansas, but I also like learning about other people and what they have to offer. That's why I started a podcast. My guest for this episode is the distinctive television news anchor from Houston, Texas, and undeniable YouTube sensation, Dominique Soxa. We talk everything from makeup trends to looking your best if you're over 40. You'll get to meet Dominique right after this. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, the queen of not just television in Houston, but the queen of YouTube is with us. And to pronounce the name correctly, everybody work with me, Dominique Longo and Soxa. Right. And even right, like socks spelled, on your feet. Right. That's right. So, well, what's the origin of the both the first name and the last name? Unique. We don't know many Dominiques, and I don't know any Soxas. Well, here's, okay, a very funny story. There's actually a town in Texas. Of course just, there is. Of course there is. <laughs> just west of Dallas called Soxa, Texas. But they pronounce it Saxy. And so I can't oh. tell you, I get emails pretty regularly of people wondering if I have ancestors or come from there or am related to people who live there. I even received a badge from the Saxy Fire Department to well, there put you on go. a jacket. <laughs> Although, like I said, they pronounce it Saxy. Um, my family says Saxa. The origin of that name is German. My father was from Hamburg and came to the States in his late 30s, early 40s when he met his my mother. So heavy, heavy German background there. And Dominique actually came from Ayn Rand's book, The Fountainhead. My parents right, right. read it, and Dominique Francon was the heroine in right. that book. And my mom fell in love with the name, and, and so there you have it. Better than Ayn sucks. Better than Ayn. Exactly. Dominique, you know? I think, has a better right. flow. Well, I'll tell you how I first got acquainted with you. It's uh, your YouTube videos, uh, right. like one and a half million people around the globe. Check these things out. And you like being the face of someone. Uh, you've been on the air and we're going to talk about that for <laughs> many, many years, 25 years in Houston. But you on the side just said, look, I got some room. I've got a really nice bathroom and I can you, you light some candles and you know how to work a blow dryer. And so <laughs> and what made you what was the appeal of uh, starting a YouTube channel? I think you will be able to appreciate this story as a broadcaster yourself. You know that when you're a woman in the news business, it doesn't matter what you say, what you're talking about, <laughs> the emails and the inquiries will be, what lipstick shade are you yeah. wearing? Where'd you buy that dress? I'm not so sure about that hairstyle today. So. All of the feedback tends to be about the external. And so before all of this stuff came out, like YouTube and social media, I would sit there on my computer and I would email the responses. <laughs> you know, I bought the dress at this store. This is the shade of lipstick and on and on and on. So one day out of the blue, and I don't know what possessed me, Lisa, but I took my cell phone. I did a reverse selfie right. video huh? and, and I was always getting questions about my eye makeup and kind of the, the smudgy, soft, smoky eye. So I took the dang camera and I'm holding it and I'm trying to do a tutorial and a demo and display it. And I posted that video to my station's Facebook page. And then I thought, you know, 
should I have really done that? But it was too late because it was out there. But the feedback that I started getting from that was instantaneous. And it was surprising because it was like, oh, now I see what you're talking about. And what about this? And what about that? And how do you do this? And it really was the opening of a door to something completely new and different for me, which is using this visual medium that you and I have been a part of for so long and taking advantage to tell a different story. And that different story started with makeup and hair. And as the channel evolved and I evolved, it became something so much bigger and more meaningful, deeper. It became more about life transformation and using beauty as the modality for that. Well, you are transparent in the Mm -hmm. way you portray yourself, but you're also very measured, Dominique, in the way you communicate. So you you must be an introvert, truly an introvert. I am. Because truly, I'm married to an, uh, he swings both ways. He's an ambivert. It's known as an ambivert. ambivert. Yeah. So a little bit, he can do the extrovert thing, but he's got to break down. But I think that personality is a little more guarded. I'll tell it all, girl. I'll tell it all. Mm-hmm. You'll tell it all within reason and what's best. Yeah. You're th- always thinking what's best for the viewer, what they need to know, and what needs to be kept right here. Would you say that's a right. good assessment? I think that you are 100% spot on. And and I think, too, the reasoning for that is, yes, I am a definite ambivert, and, and there are certain things, there are certain places where I will go in certain places where I don't feel comfortable going. But mainly, I don't want the channel to be about me. I want it to be about the viewer. I want it to be about her and her issues and concerns and needs. And so I try to take the spotlight and shine it right back on the person who's watching. But we can't do the smoky eye like you can. I mean, you've got your PhD in the smoky eye, girl. I might, I might. Well, you. So let's talk about that. There is a okay. real gift in the way that you do makeup, and yeah. and well, I mean, I've sat in the makeup chair. I can never replicate it. You can. I think it's because I was an artist as a child. Oh, I was always, I was always the doodler painting and drawing. I have always been drawn to the creative process in art. And I've always seen the human body as a beautiful way to express art. And so my view of all of this is that I see myself as a blank canvas every day. And what do I get to create? Do I want to be a Monet? Do I want to be a Picasso? Do I want to be a Dolly? You know, what is it that I want to do? And so I think it's that childhood desire of shading and painting and drawing and literally just applying it to my face. And that's how I view my makeup brushes. That's how I view the colors in front of me. I'm thinking, you know, what colors are going to blend well here? How can I blend it and smoke it out so that there are no hard lines? So that's probably the origin of all of that, honestly. Do you have a daughter or any any girls around you that you can help or they they also teach you some things? 100%. I've got uh, three, I call them bonus daughters. And my youngest is 16 and my oldest is 29. And I'd say the middle one probably plays with makeup a little bit more. She's in college. But it's interesting because today young girls aren't into makeup as much as we were. You know, think about the 80s. Think about who our role models were from Madonna to Pat Benatar. It's like, you know, the (laughs) 
big black mm-hmm. eyeliner and the glossy mm-hmm. red lips and the over-teased hair. It was so over the top when we were growing up. More was more. Right. And for this generation, it's not about that. You know, for them, it's about glowing skin and a little bit of sparkle and a little bit of lip gloss and maybe a coat of mascara and that's it. And I just want to get in my, my hands in there and I, I just want to play with them and really layer it on. And they're just not into it like no. we were. I had a big uh, oops recently when I had a TV shoot. So I still do some TV work here mm-hmm. and it's sent out all over the country. And I went right. in because my daughter got <laughs> the Kardashian uh, glow uh, highlighter, <laughs> contour. Uh-huh. I can't tell you how many times a director was yelling from the booth saying, you look like you're sweating. Because you know, yes, it's because you're shiny. <laughs> The dewy look. He was like, it's not working. And so right. I, I bring my makeup bag with me. It's like a trunk, you know, that I bring with me. I know. And I went, well, one moment, please. And I went and I tried to pull and pull and pull, but it was hard because that look doesn't portray. Television is a different mm-hmm. group of lights and it's yep. not forgiving. And now because cameras are not forgiving. So there right. I was in there pulling and pulling. And so I got fussed at and I've never gone back. So you probably haven't done that dewy look on TV because you can't. I will look like I am sweating and stressed and people will think, well, is, does she have a fever? What? Is she well? Right. Is she well? Is she right. well? Right. You can't. I mean, you know, television makeup is yeah. the antithesis yeah. of day-to-day makeup and especially trendy makeup. Trendy makeup right now is so into highlighting and contouring, but with mm-hmm. a lot of shimmer mm-hmm. and sparkle, yeah, which is great if you're on vacation or you're on a beach and you've got a little bit of a sun-kissed glow and a BB cream going on. Yeah, you know, put on all the glow glitter and sparkle you want. But for this line of work, matte, 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 not a not a shine, not oh. a glimmer, nothing because it does. The the lighting from the uh the bright lights and the cameras just pick it all up and that's all you can see. You can't even get oh. past that to look at the person and really hear what they're saying. What year was that that you started the YouTube channel? 2014. Um, because now I've got like my big O light ring up. So you've got the O uh-huh. light ring. Then if you're yep. not using your cell phone, do you, what camera do you use to do your recordings? I use a Nikon for oh, my recordings. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, I, I would say kind of a mid range camera. I'm actually looking to bump it up a little bit just because the technology evolves in that business so fast there's so many better cameras out there than way better i mean you can spend a fortune and i don't want to do that but there are just better ways of um capturing the face you know sometimes my camera has a hard time with focus you know you set it on face focus and then sometimes it blurs in it blurs out and i'm like i've had enough of this so it's time for an upgrade but it's definitely you know a good maybe 800 type camera it's an investment yeah it is an investment. And then the O-ring for sure. I've got two lights on the side. And what I like about these LED lights is that you can dial up the warmth or the coolness depending on what you're looking for or split it in the middle. Um, 
all the new lights are fluorescent. They can be very cool and that can be harsh on the skin. So you want to strike that perfect balance between the warmth and the cool. And sometimes it's just playing with those settings and getting it just right. And then it depends if you've got natural light coming in or if, for instance, in my bathroom, there's not a lot of natural light. So it's taking a little bit of that TV experience and watching mm -hmm. those lighting guys and how they do it and figuring out how to make it best work and then checking in the camera viewfinder to see, do I look washed out? Do I look too warm and yellow? You know, it's it's a lot of tweaking. Do you have a monitor then that's able that you can see what's going on and then you've got mm -hmm. a remote control that you start and stop? It's a monitor that pops out. It's like a side monitor okay. from the camera that I flip. So that's that's priority one in any camera sure. that I get is that it's got to have the viewfinder to be able to twist out and turn. It's small, but you can still see and get a pretty good idea. And then I don't have a remote. I just literally will go behind the camera, hit the record button. When I'm that close to the camera, that little square mm -hmm. box of focus mm -hmm. will focus on the face. And so then when I pull back, it retains the focus and keeps it that way. But like I said, I'm due for an upgrade. So who knows what I'll be using you know, later this year. What do you do for editing? then do you edit um, all your pieces mm -hmm. yourself I do. I edit on iMovie. You know, you'd wow. be amazed. I, I know it's it's crazy, but you'd be amazed at how many neat features are on iMovie. But the problem is, is that none of these programs come with a guide. You know, there's no know. book to write. I'm the book person. I want to flip through the pages of a book, mm -hmm. you know, chapter three, page two, how to do this. Now you got to go on YouTube for tutorials on how to do all this stuff. But what I figured out is that iMovie actually has some pretty cool and advanced settings. So it's been enough for me uh, instead of going to like Final Cut Pro or some of these um, editing softwares that are that I feel you might need a two day class to be able to yeah. really dig in. It's just so complicated. And I just I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to. I love production and production value, but I also don't want to lose myself in it because then it might take away from just the simplicity of the video. It's like this is a tutorial. I'm just trying to show you something. Right. Well, you do that once a week. Is that kind of your I do. schedule? And how much time? Is that a two hour? You, you just tell yourself, I've got two hours I've got from beginning to end. Yeah, it's it's my schedule is shoot on Tuesday, edit Wednesday and upload Thursday. So there's really no room for error. And I don't advance shoot because <laughs> I change my look so often that it could really be quite confusing to the viewer if a video shows up with me <laughs> right. looking a certain way on YouTube, right. but yet you don't, I don't look, look that way on right Instagram now. and it's, you know, so I put this pressure on myself to keep it very very current. So I'll block out my entire Tuesday morning is blocked out out for shooting. My entire Wednesday is blocked out for editing. Some videos are shorter. It may only take two hours to edit. Some videos are longer and I could spend four, five, or six hours on it. So it really depends. And then of course, working on the thumbnail and that image and then titling and description. So it's, it's like layers to all of it. Uh, one thing you've been really transparent about, I remember uh, when you had your eyebrows tattooed or uh -huh. microbladed, because I've yep. done the, I did the microblading, it kind of turned my skin kind of pink. So now I've gone to the mm. pa the powder, do you know what I'm talking about? The oh, powder stop, dip. The, pa yes. It's, it's a combo. They call it the combo brow. So Correct. Is I've it with a machine? That. It's still a yeah. tattoo process, but it's more advanced yes. from microblading. So have you Correct. tried that one yet? You may not need yeah, to. Yeah, I think, 
No, oh no, I, I do. In fact, I just went for a brow touch-up probably two months ago, and I think she calls it the Stardust or... or maybe, I, I don't, that may be it. There's some mm-hmm. name. And it is a machine that goes in there. So instead of the actual blade where you're, where you're striking in every brow by hand, and she'll still do some of that for those individual brows, yeah. but then she uses this machine, this so, bzzz, and it, it kind of gets in there and fills. So I'm finding that I need a touch up every two years. Yeah. But I have to tell you, Lisa, it was the best thing I ever, mm-hmm. ever did. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it's so nice to be able to not have a face of makeup on and yeah. to actually have brows framing your eyes. Yeah. That's it. That's it's exactly what it does. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, I have really dark brows. I've really, I mean, my hair is almost black. But I have, and I've mentioned this on my podcast, so my listeners will know, several autoimmune conditions. One is Mm. vitiligo, but the other is alopecia. A lot of thyroid disease, a lot of times you have these. So I, a few years ago, had a big round hole in my eyebrow, and my Mm -hmm. head was back in the bowl with the uh, stylist, and she was washing my hair. She said, you tweeze too much. And I was like, no, I didn't. And she goes, no, you've done something. And it's the first time I'd noticed it, and I went to my dermatologist, and he there's really mm-hmm. nothing you could do. I mean, you don't know if it's going to grow back. They just don't know. So the first time my error was I went to a tattoo artist and it looked like a Sharpie. He uh, colored it in and in. it was horrible. And then I was in an eyebrow conundrum. And so then I started getting introduced to the different types of replacement because as when women age anyway and thyroid patients for sure lose the outer third of their eyebrows yep but as women age they're just eyebrows lose their color and you lose eyebrows like you lose hair and so that is something real important so i've loved that okay do you know about the lip stuff that they're doing now that's the permanent lip blushing and it's oh so it's like a tattoo but it's more subtle Mm -hmm. the ladies people are loving that have you done that one yet I haven't. I've got a lot of pigment in my in my skin. And so some it's funny you say that because sometimes, you know, I'll post something on social media and I, you know, I'm very comfortable posting without makeup and I'll just put a little bit of lip balm on my lips and I'll have people ask me, what color lip balm are you wearing? And it's just the natural tone in my lips. So I haven't lost that color yet, but I have definitely been intrigued about the permanent lip liner. I mean, I'm sorry, the eyeliner on the top lash. You know, I've thought about that because I've got my father's light lashes. So I look like I have no lashes. And I just, you know, lip uh, lash tint and permanent liner that would sort of complement the brows. So that might be my next step. Who knows? But that's where I'm thinking. Yeah, I know a lot of people like that. The thing that's is I saw it about 10 or 15 years ago, and that look is different than the look from today. So that's why I've been a little reticent in looking at that. And I just use Mm -hmm. my Stila or whatever that brand is and slap it on there. Because I I remember when you went through your, um, and I've done it too, but I'm over this lash extension phase. Oh, yeah. I, I did it and I, I will, I can't do it again. I can't line. A, I can't line. I know. I can't either for an hour. <laughs> no. I've tried I to meditate. I know. And I, then, I write. Right. And then if they fell out, you, you'd look like. A tarantula. Been, a tarantula. Or you'd been through chemotherapy and you were, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm saying it is such a drastic look from I agree. lashes to. pandemic lashes those Mm -hmm. women see i was finished with them those women during the beginning of the pandemic were like one would fall out and they'd go 
<laughs> gotta have it back. <laughs> I know. You know. Get the super glue. What do you I do? You were doing anything, yeah. And then my lashes had damage from that. Not everybody's, mm-hmm. too, but mine did. So it just took yep. me a minute to recover. I did love the look while I had it, but I'm over it. So yeah. It, you know, it's just my it, part of my phases. That's what I'm saying. My phases include. I don't know if I want the eyeliner because in two years I might want. I don't know what I want. You know, I, I yeah. like the faces. And that's one thing about you. You remember Jane Pauley back when she was on the Today Show, when she yes. said her goodbye, part of her goodbye was all of her hairstyles through <laughs> yes, all the exactly. years. Now right. you, I've been following you probably since 2015. You've had 15 mm-hmm. since 2015. At least, at least. I love change. So for me, it's fun and it's celebratory. For a lot of women, it's dreadfully frightening. And so my goal is just to show that it's not so bad. And my feeling is, is that, you know, if you've been sitting on something, an idea, you feel something stirring within you that's saying, you know what, I really want to pull the trigger on this, but I'm scared to do it. So you have to ask yourself why? Where's this fear coming from? Is it fear that you won't like it? Is it fear that your spouse or others won't like it? Is it fear of judgment? Is it fear that that you have tied your identity and beauty into a hairstyle and there's so much more about you that's beautiful? So Right. So I, I try, I try to show and, and look, I, it's funny because there's, there's an upside to doing that and being that visual and that transparent in showing change. And there's a downside to it because what has happened is since I've been every color in the book from <laughs> reddish brown to chestnut to dark brown to honey blonde to now bleach blonde, you get camps, right? So I've got my auburn camps and I've got my dark brown camps and I've got my blonde camps. And so anytime I make a change, I've got two camps that are going to be slightly ticked off at me. <laughs> and so right. and they're, not, they're not afraid to let me know it. And and that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm a big girl and I've got thick skin and I can handle that. But but my point is, is that I want to show women it's not as scary as what you're imagining in your head. And if you do it, and let's say you don't like it, you've learned a couple of things about yourself. Number one, you've learned you're not a hairstyle and you're going to find other attributes and things to celebrate within. Number two, what you might learn is in the grow out process, you have discovered the perfect hairstyle for you and you never would have known it had you not made that change in the first place. What causes you to have so much depth? Are you very, you're very introspective. I'm a deep thinker, and I think a part of that is the introversion in me. Mm-hmm. You know, my father was an incredibly brilliant man. He was wise, and he was always he was always sharing the wisdom in things. And so maybe that's where that comes from. And I've also had this draw towards psychology. I like to know the whys behind things, behind human behavior and choices and decision making. And I, that's just who I am. That's, that's what I read when, it, when I've got quiet time to find literature to stir me and awaken me. It's usually dealing with psychology and choices and behavior. So that's kind of an underlying current in me. And I think it gets tied into the messaging as well, which is maybe why it resonates. Do you think that that those characteristics have helped you then to be a good reporter? Because a good reporter uh-huh. really has to step back and ask, ask the good questions and have to think about yes. the good questions to ask. A hundred percent. And I think, too, the more life you live, the more life experience you have as a wife, 
as a mother you know, you bring all of that to your storytelling. You you wind up humanizing the victim so much more in that way. I think also what it does is it makes you step back and think even in your presentation. Sometimes, you know, my biggest pet peeve in watching reporters is it doesn't matter what story they're covering. The, de- the delivery is exactly the same. And I'm thinking, how can you do that? You know, you could be talking about a political story or you could be talking about a family member who died from COVID and yet you're approaching it with the same writing style, the same cadence, the same tempo, and they don't deserve it. You know, that family deserves your empathy and compassion in storytelling. And I just think some journalists are afraid to sort of bring down that veil and to allow their human side to come out. So yes, 100%, I agree with you. It makes you a better broadcaster. What was your last big storm in Houston? A couple year and a half ago, two years ago? Harvey. Which, yes. How... <laughs> See, I over empathize. That's one of my shortcomings as a reporter. I, I get, I, I, I get too involved. I, I mm. have, I feel too much for them. How was it for you then to deliver those bad news days? Are you able to pull it together? Are there tears? There are moments. You know, it depends on the story. You know, Harvey was such a heartbreak because it. It was so personal in several ways. You know, a part of town flooded that generally never floods before. And it had to do with the way the storm came in. And it came in around Corpus, and then it went into central Texas, and it hung out there. And all the rainfall that it brought in central Texas, as you know, what starts up north is going to come down south. So all of the rivers and the bayous and tributaries were overflowing and that water was making its way now down into the houston area it's not like we got all of this rain that sat over us for extended periods of time we did but it was really the overflow of water that was coming down well it's like katrina i mean that's what happened to katrina the the levees yeah the levees broke yeah yeah and we had the same issue with our bayous and our infrastructure, you know, it could not contain the water that was coming in. And so they had to release. It was a a controlled release, as you call it. But the problem in doing so is that you know you're going to be flooding certain neighborhoods. And so it wound up flooding parts of town where I grew up. And I saw areas, like I said, that never flooded before, just underwater you could just see rooftops and that was it and the fall and people on their roofs and people coming in on boats and sea dews you know rescuing people and the and loss. animals had people having to they ah. had to make the de- decision to get go back they were like i'm getting my golden my, retriever right. yeah oh. right um it was it was hmm. gut wrenching. And so, you know, seeing that kind of devastation and loss to a place that you've called home for so long. I've been here since I'm eight years old. This is my home. And when you see your home under siege like that, and you know the human life that's impacted, whether it's loss of life or just loss of property and having to start over and the financial impact of all of that, the time, the the displacement, I mean, I, I don't know. It was it was one of the more brutal stories to have to cover. And on top of it, it's not a one day event. No, it keeps it's the fallout. I mean, we were doing Harvey stories a year after Harvey. And then it turned into the pandemic, which is <laughs> and, which are more yes. bad stories. Um, right. 
I, I, you know, personally have not turned on the TV here for news since March I don't blame the 12th you. because it's too yep. much. Um, I, yep. I get mine on my device, so I know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm a news person. I check everything and I'm an editor of a local magazine. So I know my, I have my finger on the pulse. I just can't know too much because of that feeling of I can't fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. I hate it. Hate it. I, know I, it. I want all the kids to live with me. I want all the animals here. I want yep. all the elderly people to come. I mean, I can't. So it's an unhealthy perspective I have, but that's why news was very difficult for me. Now you mm-hmm. have the unique position, Dominique, that you actually were raised in the same city that you've been the queen of media. How, how what was your trajectory? Did you study at uh, Houston or the University of Houston yeah. or Rice? Did you, or you went to a local college even? I did. I did. My first semester, I went to uh, Richmond College in England, just outside of London, only because I was craving a real cultural experience, something different and outside the box. And I got it. But at the same time, I knew what I wanted to do. And I actually knew as a sophomore in high school when MTV debuted. And it was the first time I saw young people. This was back when MTV was actually music television. Okay, Mm -hmm. So this was the first time I got to see young people as broadcasters talking about information that was hip and relevant and pertinent to my interests and my likes. And I thought, wow, that is cool. I would love to do some type of broadcasting. Hadn't really considered news because at that time, news was primarily anchored by older men. And it was very sterile and stoic in delivery and presentation. I couldn't see myself in that medium, so I never really sought out to do that. But I knew broadcasting would be it in some capacity, maybe more music or entertainment bent. But after that semester at Richmond College, I came back to Houston, went to the University of Houston during my winter break, just out of curiosity to see what the school offered. And it's so ironic because what I needed was actually in my own backyard. U of H had an amazing communications program. And on top of it, it was tied to Channel 8, which is the first public broadcast station in the country. So students in their upper level classes got to work out of Channel 8, produce and direct their own 30-minute show. So you were able to graduate with a demo tape of your work going into the field. I mean, that was unheard of. Extremely unique. Yes. Extremely. So career started in Houston at Metro Traffic as a traffic reporter for a lot of (laughs) different radio stations, (laughs) which was a trip. It was a split shift. So I worked morning drive and afternoon drive. And did they have helicopters then? Remember, there was a time there were helicopters that actually they had the they had the budget to pay for these things that they knew they had their eye on the sky kind of thing. Correct. I mean, Metro Traffic was started by David Saperstein, and he had he had a chopper in the air. He had people on the ground, and he was also tapping into the city's cameras. You know, all cities have cams on on freeways and stuff. Way ahead of his genius, genius. He created a format that that went you know, nationwide, if not global. So yeah, there was the chopper, we had the reporters in the cars, and then we had the cameras positioned. So we would get these reports coming in, there was a computer printout, every couple of minutes, new printout, new printout of the traffic backups. And then we had a switchboard in front of us, kind of like the old days, you know, where you would plug into the switchboard and and dial in your station. So I had a couple of stations that I would do traffic for, and I put my headphones on, punch in KHMX, do their traffic hit, traffic hit, then punch in KTRK, KLOL. And so it was a round robin of doing traffic. 
Were they recording those as you punched them in, or did you punched in live then? I bet. live punched what? in live. So your yeah. time, your your commitment to a clock <laughs> is, right. is is more than anybody we could ever know. And what's scary is not every radio station's team, you know, whether it's the morning show or the afternoon show, was necessarily honoring that clock. You know, sometimes they talk too much or talk too little. And I would have sometimes overlap of when I was supposed to be on one station versus another. So I would have this sort of panic attack on air at one station, knowing that literally 10 seconds later, the other station would be coming to me. It's craziness. So that's interesting that one person did the traffic for competing stations. Now they do yeah. it for the cluster, for, you know, Cumulus or uh, iHeart or whoever. So that's kind of interesting. And also Houston is like the mother of traffic. Oh, I know. So it was the perfect, perfect place to start because, I mean, there was no shortage of information. <laughs> no. In fact, my husband listens to a talk station there just because he can get it easily on his app. And we're in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so uh-huh. and they're still doing traffic reports in Houston all day. One o'clock, two o'clock or 11, 12, one. And it's still bumper to bumper. We've got a traffic yes. exit tie up here, which we never have that. I, Little Rock, about 720. There are a few cars on the interstate. We're so yeah. <laughs> That's You're our traffic, so right? That's our traffic. Right. So you really, that's one thing I always say about being a good reporter too, is knowing the bones of the city. Yes. So, and and yes. knowing, you know what I mean? There, I can't really explain it because just innate, because it's almost either you have it or you don't. So you already, you came up through an organization of traffic. You are from Houston. So mm-hmm. that's back when we had a Rolodex, remember, and we had names in a Rolodex. <laughs> yes, Kids, right, you, I remember. You'll have to Google what a Rolodex is. I don't have time to tell you what it is. Yeah. But so you it's already, a card with a flippy thing. Yes, with everybody. It's your contacts, like your phone. But right. you probably already had one when you started moving up in news because doing traffic, being from the community, you had your people. Sure. You develop your sources, you develop contacts, you have people to reach out to, but also there's the beauty of people finding you. And so I found that, Uh you know that, I found that to be amazing because when I started in news, you know, I would utilize contacts for resources for stories or even to help the station. Hey, do you know of somebody in this area? And then that contact list really started to grow once I got out in the community and started emceeing a lot of events. And then you meet people at all different types of, you know, charity events, corporations and whatnot. And so that grows even more. You know, you collect your business cards, you put your information in your database and your resource list grows. And that's such an asset for a journalist. And it's what every manager wants to find in a journalist they hire is, you know, who do you know? What connections do you have? That's especially pertinent in investigative journalism. You know, when you talk about getting into the bones of a city, man, you got to know, you got to have your contacts in police, in fire, Mm -hmm. in city, all of it. Uh, One time, a friend of mine, a journalist friend, we were on the radio and I had my phone out and she was looking at my contacts. It will tell you your total how many? And she said, seriously, yeah. I went, every contact I make, I keep right here because I never know if I'm right. going to need that person for something. So it's just, you know, young reporters listening. That's just one thing you could do. So you moved your way up uh, from traffic. What Then when did you make a leap? Because that's the audio version of what it, even TV will sometimes use those audio reports. But when did sure. you make the leap into real news and to television? 
Well, I did a, a little uh, skip to the left, and one of my radio stations, uh, KHMX, is an adult contemporary station that I used to do traffic for. So I was I had a lot of side hustles going on at this time because I wasn't getting paid a lot of money. So I was working at the Lancome counter at, at Marshall Field. <laughs> And one of my girlfriends next to me at the Chanel counter shows up one day and she comes in with a a clipping from the newspaper and it said um, Mix 96.5 looking to hire. And she said, I know you do traffic, but for them, she said, but they're looking for DJs. Have you ever thought about doing that? And I thought, hmm. That might be kind of fun. So I contact them, and I'm the biggest pest, Lisa, on the Good. planet. I'm Good. I'm that person who calls the receptionist daily, okay? I think she hated me by the time I actually got hired. But every day, I wanted to talk to the program director. You know, when can I come in? When can we meet? And I came in, and, you know, they knew me because I, I did traffic for them. And they brought me in, and they, they hired me as a part-time weekend disc jockey and then during the week (laughs) during the week I worked as a production assistant so I would dub commercials you know back then commercials came in on reel to reel and you had to transfer them onto carts so that when you were in the DJ booth and after you were doing your your shtick you know for 15 minutes then you had all your carts lined up of all the commercials punch 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 and then you know back to the music and stuff so so I did that. My my radio career there lasted for about two years. And I went from weekends to overnights, which was midnight to 5.30, to then late nights, which was 10 to 2. And then they switched it from 6 to 10. And then it was during that time that I got a call from somebody I worked with at Metro Traffic. And he was doing traffic for my station's morning show. Back then, it was two male anchors, a male weathercaster, and a male doing traffic. So they were looking to hire a woman to do traffic on camera. And they had already auditioned a bunch of women. He reached out to me. He said, I remembered you telling me that you wanted to get into television. This may be the perfect opportunity for you because you know traffic, you've done it. You know, you've had some on-camera experience with commercials and like, little, I little might side cry. Muscles. I'm hearing this story and I might cry. I mean, were you, were your tears, were, were you shaking? How did you feel? I, I was dying. I literally dropped my headset, I think, when he told me that. Literally. I'm wear, I wore a headset, just like right. what you're wearing. I think I dropped it. So the pest that I was, I, I contacted the news director at KPRC at the time, and I said, hey, you know, uh, your traffic reporter told me that you're looking to hire a woman. He threw my name in the hat. I'd you know, love to come in and audition for you. Lucky for me. All the women that they had auditioned at, up to this point, they were all beautiful women who had great on-camera presence, but they didn't know their I-45 from their 59 to their 610. They didn't know anything about Houston traffic, let alone how to tell the story at a chroma key, because that's what you're doing. You're standing at a chroma key with the map behind you, and you've got to reference all of the traffic points. Backwards, now, too. A chroma key is backwards. Is, Correct. So it's it's the reverse. So you have to get used to, and, and they have two monitors on the side, to your right and to your left. So when you make that turn to gesture to something, you can actually see yourself in front of the chroma key, and you can see where you're touching on that map. So there's a little getting used to, and I hadn't worked at a chroma key before, so I thought, I can figure that out, but I know my roadways. And so I auditioned, and that day I got hired to do the traffic for Channel 2's morning show. <laughs> I was okay, like, wait. this is insane. Did okay. you know, did, in radio, did you know how to run the board then? 
Oh, yeah. It was a, a one-woman show. You're running the board. You're plugging in. You have like a stack. And again, the songs back then were on carts. Isn't that and crazy? So it, it was amazing. And so they used to label on the cart because you know how DJs talk over the intro to a song and then they know exactly when to stop before the lyrics start. So on the cart, there would be numbers that would say, you know, let's say it's Mark Cohn's Walking in Memphis, right? And it would it would say, you know, 15 seconds. And then it would say, and, and that would be your stop. So you and then it would have the total the TRT of the of the song. So maybe the total song is three minutes and 43 seconds, you had a 15 second intro. So you'd pop that card in and you knew that whatever you had to say, you had to get it in in 15 seconds, because God forbid you talk over Mark Cohn singing, oh, never, then everybody's right, gonna never, be so right. mad at you. Okay, right. So that, so that's how it was cards were lined up, you, you had liner cards of things that had to get said, but also you had to use your own voice and personality to to bring it all together and then do it within that time frame and then to be present that when that Mark Cohn song was winding down kind of as in the fade is when you would hit the next song to pop up so you were definitely running that board and you were by yourself and it's called hitting the post when you get the 15 yep. seconds and we were never yep. to talk over if they were still singing at the end how do you feel then about what do you tell people that come to you and go Miss Dominique I would like to be on TV too someday what, can you grant me a wish? What do you say? I say to them, if you are willing to work every ridiculous hour in the book and get paid next to nothing and to show up to work with a great attitude, a smile on your face, hungry to learn, asking questions, you know, being being a a person who is willing to develop and dig and suffer, then I say good for you. But if you're not willing to do those things, forget about it. Because, you know, this business, and, and just like you said, it has become even more hyper competitive, because there are fewer jobs out there. On top of it, they're figuring out that they can do things with fewer people. And the people that they need, they don't need to pay as much. So it's not even as lucrative of a business as it used to be. The salaries from my generation in this business, the next generation will never see. Never. So, you know, I, I I mean, these days you can become your own broadcaster. Right. Look at what's out there. Right. YouTube, podcasts, there's so many ways to get content out there. You don't necessarily have to be dependent on a TV station and a company and an organization to do the job. So I might encourage people to look at different ways and avenues to get started. And one thing you mentioned earlier, I think that makes a good anchor is a thick skin. Mm -hmm. Because if you're sensitive to what people say, this is not the, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, this is not the career you. for you. What do you think gave you a thick skin? Getting slashed and trashed up and down, left and right, yeah. uh, both in, internally, in-house yeah. when I started, because yeah. I did not cut my chops in a traditional journalistic right. way. So there was that internal anger and frustration among the female, and even the men didn't respect me. So I had a lack of respect internally and a lot of backstabbing and talking and sneers and all of that. And then, you know, those, those mean-spirited comments that come from viewers. Back then, it was just email. Oh my God, today starting out, they, they assault you from everywhere. You know, your Instagram account, your Facebook account, your email, they can find you everywhere, direct message you, you know, put it in the comment section. There's no escaping it. So I just learned early on that I wasn't going to please everybody. 
It was impossible to even think that I could. And the only two people that I would please and that I wanted to please were me and my heavenly father. And that was it. That was it. Once I set that as my parameter, then the rest of it was like water off of a duck's back. Whatever. Say what you want. I don't care. You know, you your words are not going to penetrate me and they don't define me or my value system. So I learned early on to get real thick. It's the uh, song that's on Christian radio, Audience of One. You know, mm-hmm. I just think, you know, because that's it. it. It is difficult to have to pull away and be objective. That's where um, I think a good marriage always helps. And yes. um, your kids keep you humble, no matter <laughs> being on TV, <laughs> right. radio, whatever it is, kids keep you humble. Now, one thing about you is um, most of us have, you know, put on a few pounds as we've had different hormonal changes. You are the size mm-hmm. of a 10 year old. There's no. nothing oh, no, to no, no. you. Have you ever no. had a fat day or a bad hair yes. day? Yes. Yes. Okay, a good, a good, water good. weight day, a puffy day good, where good, I've got good. ice packs on my face <laughs> right. or I'm, I got two layers of spanks on. Absolutely. Oh, okay. I am not immune to any of it at all. Uh, were you pregnant on the air and go through all that? Because that's hard. I did. Yeah. yeah, I did. I did. It was it was fun because I found that there was sort of a sisterhood forming with other women who were That's pregnant true. at the same time. Yes. And that was really sweet because I and then I would have these sweet women, you know, some older women knitting me blankets, you know, and I mean, these great little gifts would show up. And I thought, my gosh, you know, the, the kind heartedness and Isn't the generosity. So sweet. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we talked about the nasty comments and the, and, and the hateful ones, but I will tell you, there are there are so so many more good spirited and kind natured people out there. And so when you see that and receive that, that is such a gift. And I still hear from women today who will comment on something and they'll say, and you know, maybe I'll post it's my son's birthday today or whatever. And a lady will write in saying, I was pregnant when you were pregnant. And I remembered going through it at the same time with you. And can you believe, you know, our kids are going to be 16. So that's awesome. There was, for me, there was total upside being pregnant on air. I never got anything, you know, nasty or, you know, gee, you've put on a little too much weight or none of that, none of that. It was really pleasant. Uh, for you to embrace, that's one thing I love about you, Dominique, you embrace aging. And that's why you yeah. want to like mentor women and say, look, 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 you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're, you know, we're going to get right. through this together. And so what are some of your top tips you tell people, especially women, aging women over 40? Well, first of all, there are so many things that you can do, and everybody has to decide at what level, right? Everybody's different. There are some people that will want a more natural or a simpler approach to it, and there are some people who are willing to go in and go to a med spa or visit a plastic surgeon or or whatever, okay? Right. So, so let's admit, there are varying levels, and the first thing that I wanna say is no judgment. Every woman has to walk her own walk and make her own decisions. And I think as women, we really need to offer each other some grace and space in allowing each woman to do that. So what I try to show is that there are so many different ways to tackle it. You know, once upon a time, you would go from face cream to facelift. There was nothing in between. But this whole area for for beauty and anti-aging, which I really like to call pro-aging because I think we need to celebrate it and find ways to do it that that make us feel good about it. So, you know, whether it's, and I just did a skincare video uh, the other week 
whether it's about incorporating things like glycolic acid and tretinoin, which is retin-A at prescription strength. You know, those two little babies, that's like a one-two punch. They are so powerful. And if done over a prolonged period of time, the results that you can see in your skin are truly transformative. I have to tell you, my I'm 53, I'll be 54 in June. My skin today is better than it was in my late 30s and early 40s. Well, you are magnificent. Your skin is well, magnificent. You're, you're kind to say, but it's been a concerted focus and a change in number one, skincare. In number two, I am not the sunbather that I used to be. Those days are long gone. I mean, you know, as a product of the 80s, I grew up with Hawaiian Tropic and iodine drops in the baby oil and right. the sun reflector. Right. And I mean, uh, it was it was bake until you were like the darkest mm-hmm. shade of brown. So, you know, that stopped. I started to get wise in my, in my late 30s, early 40s and really started to get diligent with the sunscreen, wearing hats, protecting more of the face and the chest. Those things made a huge difference. And then also, you know, things like Botox to relax the muscles, you know, that can have a profound long-term impact because if you prevent those, and I naturally had a furrowed brow, even in my early thirties, I looked like I was- No, those are people who are thinkers have that. I'm a laugher and smiler, so I'm more- Oh, so you get those. Mm -hmm. I hadn't hadn't had a thought in my life. (laughs) <laughs> but I've, la- I've laughed my way to this point. So yeah, I get it. Well, okay. So I've had too many thoughts and maybe not enough laughter. <laughs> so I'm like, what can I do about this? I right. look like I'm constantly mm-hmm. worried and angry. That's not who I am. They're the 11s. So that's, don't they call that the, the 11s? 11s? Yeah. They uh-huh. were the 11s. And I'm, I'm see, they're starting to come mm-hmm. in right now a little bit. So that's that's what prompted me to start doing Botox. And then you do that conservatively, but over a long period of time, you prevent those lines from coming in. And, you know, again, it's every woman's walk. Some women don't feel comfortable going there. Some women do, and then some and want more. I'm just here to say, look, this is what's available. This is what's out there. You do you and, and do you joyfully. That's my message. What's your skin cream you're loving right now? What are you loving for the face? You know what? I honestly will. It's the the glycolic acid and the tretinoin. I can blend into anything. It doesn't okay. matter because those are the two that are making the difference in my skin. You could blend it into some generic, organic, plain skin cream, and it doesn't matter. If I'm not using those two, um, I love Sunday Riley's skincare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's she has a great product line. She's also mm-hmm. from Houston. Is she really? Um, yeah, oh, she's I love a Houstonian. Her stuff. Mm-hmm. Her stuff is amazing. So yeah. if you don't have as- access to the tretinoin and the glycolic acid, her skin care line is really, really powerful and impactful. Um, there are a lot of products that use um, honey, Manuka honey, Be yeah. Naturals yeah. is one of them. And I featured them before. Um, I mean, God, the skincare industry has just exploded. There's something for everybody out there. But I, I am becoming more and more conscientious of less chemical in my skin. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking for organic, natural. I love oils. I've become a huge face oil person. I go to bed at night. I, you could fry chicken on my face. Oh, That's how well, greasy I am. There you go. <laughs> but it, I love it. And I wake up in the morning and I feel my skin is hydrated and I can, I can tell it's benefiting from it. As I get older, it's drier. Yeah. Who are you loving then for the oils? Again, I'm using Sunday Riley for okay, oils good. and and the and the B Naturals. Okay. Another it's B N A T U R A L Z. 
I believe okay. is how she spells I, it. I'm putting all that in the show notes. Dominique, you are extraordinary. Just delightful. Well, you are precious. Thank you so much for oh, being here. You're great. Thank you for having me, Lisa. This was so delightful. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes. The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by the Clanton Boys at clantoncreative.com. For more information, go to the show notes and they can produce a podcast for you and make you podcast famous. Mm-hmm.